The deed is done. Faded into nothing. Only speaking of it can make it real. Tonight it is, then. <laughs> Let me bathe and dress for the occasion. Once I'm presentable, I'll call on the Septon immediately. I'm warning you. I'm going to scream when my husband makes love to me. I'm going to scream so loud, you'll hear me clear across the narrow sea. York City, she a turns Kishek. You know it's a Game of Thrones podcast. When Doth Recky is right at the top of the show, welcome to Game of Owns. We're a podcast. We are, we are. And uh, for those of you who Coming would like the York English City. translation. Uh, that was Indothraki. We're going to be live in New York City in eight turns of the sun. Wow. Oh, wow. man. Hand is back. There's I four of it. us. Micah, that was beautiful. David would be proud. Eight turns of the sun. Yeah. Well, I, I figured that you had to at least tie sun or moon into the oh, that's true. reading in some capacity. But I, I would hope that David J. Peterson would be happy with that reading I, and it's my first try at a little rusty but i feel like i can improve yeah i like to i thought you did really great thanks hannah you, you know you're gonna have to close out the show now <laughs> i got pl- oh. i got plenty of time to psych myself up i'm just gonna be practicing like while everyone's talking it's like haven't heard from hannah in a while i'm just like over here whispering to myself oh so everyone listening at home we're glad that you're here yeah. with us two episodes last week high fivery uh, live show in New York City in Times Square, and like Micah said, eight turns of the sun, so <laughs> not doing too bad over here. What else? Uh, these two chapters today, uh, killing me softly. Heavy chapters, long chapters, at least from what we're used to over the course of the last several. Right? These were these were pretty meaty, mm. meaty, yeah, mm-hmm. like beef stew, beef stew, and in well, Jamie's case, it was meat. white meat. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're on the same page. Yeah. So um, exciting. Um, again, and we'll get into it. And we've actually been receiving some some feedback recently about how mesmerizing it is that this happens. But these two chapters, everyone listening, um, go so well together. Almost <laughs> too beautifully in a way. Did the three of you catch that while reading? How congruent it felt mm-hmm. thematically and also in some cases quite literally. Yeah. It's almost like they were written. Just go that way. <laughs> We've discovered uh, what appears to be a secret formula buried deep in the DNA of Ice and Fire. We got our night of Ice and Fire event, which is coming up next week. It'll be great to see you guys again. Great to see Hodor. Great to see anybody who comes out and says hello to us. Christian has uh, a name. He does have a name. And before we move on, can I just say today I ordered uh, sushi off Grubhub, and they wouldn't let me have my food because the last person to use my Grubhub account was Christian. And they're like, your name's not Chris. And I had to... Anyway, long story short, uh, he's ruining my food from Ireland. Next week, I think we'll have some some challenges in that realm, though. I know that we've had some of those experiences while doing conventions at the same time. Going to get more White before. Castle. Yeah, so things have remained interesting. Yeah, no fun stories uh, that come out of cons like these, uh, you know, events that we go to. We see each other. We spend some time. Uh, always make it on to our uh, bonus uh, chapters, our extra episodes that we air each month over on patreon to our subscribers and uh those are always fun i know a new one's out it's our basically when we were all together for for geeky right hannah you watched this right 
I watched it on your phone. On my yeah. What do you What do you think is a new sort of uh, new pair of eyes to to our chapters? I thought it's great. I laughed. I cried. I went through it. <laughs> You've seen some of the um, the the ant- the ones from the past, vintage mm-hmm. Game of Thrones Patreon chapters, but with some uh, strategic beer reviews and stuff. What do you think about those, mm. Hannah? <laughs> I thought they were great. <laughs> She's just not going to go into it. No one reviews beer like Eric Skull. It's true. Eric, I was very impressed. No, oh, thank you. We've mentioned that there are some surprises we'll be dropping your way via this podcast that you're listening to regarding our event in New York City. I suppose, guys, right now is the time to do that, right? They're listening. Absolutely. It's eight days away. We've got you engaged. Let's start from here. If you're in the city for New York Comic Con, and if you plan on costuming your entire body... Or part of it, even, as a character from Game of Thrones or from A Song of Ice and Fire. Some characters that maybe haven't made it into the show. Like, we'll probably get into a few of those today. Uh, it would be advantageous of you to join the costume contest that will be happening at our event. The local Ice and Fire meetup group, Fire and Lunch, which Ooh. sounds fun, will be hosting our costume contest and after going over plans and bouncing ideas back and forth it is uh it's going to be a lot of fun so beyond there being a live podcast and all the other stuff that's listed on the website that's going to be a huge blast let's just go over one more thing and then we'll reveal the rest on next week's episode is that fair yeah do the slow burn (laughs) christian will be joining our show our live podcast that's going to be fun looking forward to it i mean i know we've had him on the show a number of times we did the live show with him out in Indianapolis for Indie PopCon, but uh, he is a very good friend of the show. We always enjoy speaking with him, spending time with him, and then you know, we get to listen to him. Is it Turn the Tables? Is that the official? Uh, yeah, the tables will like, be turned, you know? yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be a really exciting evening, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I know everybody here is as well. One of the interesting parts about this is the show's in the middle of season six, so these conversations... Are going to be interesting. I, I I can't wait to see what we can coax out of uh, Christian to talk about. <laughs> well, we may have double the chances or more on information. Mm. But for now, we're delighted to say that in addition to Christian, a Mr. Finn Jones, your very own Sir Loris Tyrell, who is featured much in today's two chapters, will be joining us in New York City as well. Amazing. Yay. We hope that our excitement is being echoed and mirrored at home. It's going to be... Um, it's gonna be a really really fun night and a really fun episode and yeah stay tuned for for more details and eric uh mentioned earlier patreon and uh you one thing i just wanted to bring up there is that we've uh been listening to what all of you have been saying and, and taking in all of your collective feedback as it relates to our patreon page and we've given it a complete makeover and uh, I think it looks a lot better personally, mm. at least from a tier standpoint or, you know, in terms of how we lay out uh, our Patreon. And, and there's been some very creative uh, tiers that have been from Bannermen to Sworn Swords to Kingsguard, Kingsguard. which also played a huge role in this week's chapters. And, of course, our beloved Small Council. One of the new enhancements, I should say, is, you know, at... at the $5 level, we're doing something where we're allowing our bannermen to become a part of the show, to help us out in discussions, to provide topics that we can talk about right here. And it's the topics that you all want to hear about. And I think right. that that is what makes this 
you know, so unique and interesting. And that's, of course, in addition to getting, you know, this uh, monthly episode, this chapter uh, that uh, everybody was talking about before, that chapter nine that came from uh, our escapades down in Orlando. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, adding this portion about contributing to our discussion is only going to make things better. Yeah, it's kind of exciting because owns are a really wonderful way to include you in our discussion. But just by way of how we've made our show over the past few years, uh, they're generally put toward the end of the episode after a lot of that discussion has taken place. So allowing those of you who are interested enough to support the show and stay on top of what's happening behind the scenes with the chapters, we've really just added to the tiers on Patreon. We've just beefed them up beyond what they were before. And, uh, you know, so it's more stuff for the people that have been there supporting and it's more stuff for people that haven't quite made that leap yet. So if you love the show, jump in there because we'll be posting. I think Eric had a question regarding some of the stuff today that he threw in there. And it was very, very recently, like too, too short before this week's episode to, to get mm. a lot of stuff there. But once prompts are thrown onto Patreon and you guys have an opportunity to, to talk about the stuff with us, I feel like just by by mechanic of, of what it is, it's going to engross us more into the chapter before recording and engross also those listeners into the chapter before recording. So by the time the episode comes out, we're all going to be ready to take a test on this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So that's That's cool. I'm actually excited that it's going to, you know, be a cool thing to go alongside the show. And I've been brushing up on my Dothraki as part of that. Clearly, test. Micah. <laughs> now our sworn sword tier provides you with the chapter readings that we do yes. each and every week, right? Um, depending on who reads them, some may have some pretty interesting classical music that precedes these. <laughs> I know guys, that I go off on tangents. I just it's kinda, all yeah. digitally added now for me. I didn't do it when I did my recording. Oh, I noticed. <laughs> I w- it, was just, it was just me going, Game of Owns presents, and I'm like, yeah, Zach will pick something fun. <laughs> Screw it. But guys, I got to tell you, moaning as Liza Aaron moans. Uh, at like, I mean, who doesn't want to hear Eric do that? After midnight. <laughs> oh, pretty much everyone. <laughs> That's not a good selling. Oh, man. It's, oh, it's not? Okay. No, um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't try and sell. <laughs> I, but Liza Aaron really ability. sells it. You guys got to check does sell out it. the chapter readings. There's also an important mention. Uh, for the storm of swords, storm of swords, the sworn sword level, that uh, things like that, uh, where we, we you know we record this show and it's it's highly produced, but uh, between those times there are uh, you know just talks of the production, just kind of casual conversations uh, between us before and mm-hmm. after uh, we're we're in the mix and pushing hard, and we're gonna add all of those uh pieces into patreon as well uncut just packaged for you every week so hopefully if you if you love the show you'll get a little bit of enjoyment out of uh those blocks of conversation i i it's like a lot to think about like do we let people in that close into but you know it's fun and if you love the podcast it's it's a a even further way to get some enjoyment out of some of those talks yeah you i think the way that you put it uh is best everything that kind of ends up on the cutting room floor you never know what you're going to get. I mean, who knows if the moaning piece that uh, we just spoke about makes it in or not. 
I mean, I, w- it I would think should. It, it's part it, of the chapter. <laughs> It'll Zach be just plays some elevator music, like doo, doo, doo. you guys should hear how much Hannah talks before we play before. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. They can't shut her up. She was screaming in Dothraki earlier. She was. I was. Mm-hmm. You got got to donate to get it. She asked us to, to cut it out of the show, though. Sorry about that. <laughs> yep. And uh, we have our new Kingsguard tier, which uh, is really exciting, mm-hmm. and that gives you complete and unfiltered access uh, to our Game of Owns Snapchat account. And dangerous. what I really like about this, it, <laughs> yes, number one is it's extremely dangerous for all the hosts of this show to know, uh, you know, to let our listeners know what it is that goes on before recording, maybe during recording, after recording, and just uh, really, uh, you know, the, the, the daily lives, the ins and outs of the, of the Game of Owns hosts, but also giving you some behind-the-scenes access i think you know especially as we head into our live show next week uh in new york city there's oh, gonna be yeah. a ton of stuff yeah. to to put up there and uh you know eric's going to sing broadway tunes out on the streets of of times square he really will yeah at least that's what i've heard eric is that not true oh yeah you know event coverage uh will be will be real grand <laughs> it'll be a good it's a good tier for it, that if you use snapchat i feel like it needs no introduction the the breadth of what this could mean if you're a member of our mm-hmm. Kingsguard. Exactly. You kind of, I don't know, you you deserve that access, uh, loving the show that much and su- supporting us. Maybe I'll bring out the uh, fishnet shirt. <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. my gosh. <laughs> well, the, the crazy thing is, Eric, in Times Square, you would blend in. And we haven't talked <laughs> yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. It's true. <laughs> um, we don't need to. And also, if you don't use Snapchat and you aren't familiar, uh, it's just like the only way to describe it is just, Sometimes out of context, a lot of times in context, short updates, uh, photo, video, uh, everything. And if, like I said, if you don't use it, we'll put them on the Patreon feed so you won't miss out on it. But if you do use it, it's just going to – I don't know, really know where that's going to go. That's it was, it was an idea. It was something that we thought would be fun. Again, just kind of throughout the week, keeping us completely involved in creating the podcast and involved with talking to one another, I think will translate into an even cooler – podcast that we're producing so you know the idea here is to present patreon to you know as a way obviously it supports the show and keeps us on the air and and allows us to do things like what we're doing in new york comic-con and all the cool initiatives that we have in the future Mm. but it's not necessary if you listen to the podcast this this isn't something that you have to do if you do want to support the show you can and there's stuff to enjoy there the only other thing i would add uh, that is important is that you know all the tiers that we mentioned as you know we went from uh Bannermen to to Sworn Swords to uh, Kingsguard and then finally our small council is that as you increase in each level you get all the benefits of the previous level so right. you know all the sort of key pieces that we mentioned are in addition to those that come before it and so we thought we'd take this time to tell you about all the changes that were made over there uh, basically just enriching the stuff that all of you have been supporting up until this point. There's quite a few of you there, and we hope to see many more because our uh, our next milestone goal, if reached, will be a production that you've been asking for, which will be commentary tracks for the 10 episodes of season two. Oh, yeah. Blackwater. Keep on rolling. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll invite Hannah onto those, too. Maybe. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the milestone was that Hannah had to do all 10 commentaries. Just Hannah. In Dothraki. <laughs> yes, in Dothraki. It's just going to be like silence. <laughs> so Hannah, which 
one of these two chapters that we read today, both great chapters, which one do you like the most? Jay, I would say Jay, the Jamie chapter actually probably was my favorite of the two, only because um, I love history. I'm like a huge history nerd. And I think George R. R. Martin does such a good job of kind of dropping history on us throughout the chapter without kind of being obnoxious in your face about it. You know what yes. I mean? Like, I love how he just builds this world without shoving it down your throat. And the series is such a massive series, and he could have very easily, through the first, you know, 100 pages, kind of plowed through all this history. But instead, we get it in little bits and pieces. And it was it was fun. It was fun to hear. Like a beautifully woven tapestry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's true. The tapestry with... Century, thousands of years of history. We talk about the the time between now and the long night. I feel like the last, like we'll use that as our scale of recent. We don't even know what happened in Planetos before that. We don't know what gods or how it <laughs> exists in a place where weather can act as it is. It's just there's all too many questions. But like you said, Hannah, the going along this chapter and learning of these people. With just the small mentions, I think we got a mention of the Black Fire Rebellion, which mm-hmm. I've I've heard tale of through peering through a world of ice and fire. And I'm so excited to get into stuff like that as our show progresses. 300 episodes in, and it's like we're cracking, we're just cracking into the rest of the the world of ice and fire, which is fascinating to me. And I feel if we hadn't have read the Hedge Knight or what will soon be the Nine of the Seven Kingdoms, which is, completes all three tales of Duncan Egg. Uh, we would be so curious as to who Sir Duncan the Tall was, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's like about the fifth mention, I think, between the show and like, oh, hell, the fifth mention of this book, let's not lie. Duncan is a popular dude. And we know his future, but that's okay. Yeah. We can only assume being so close to a young Egon would lead to a very interesting life. And it looks that, like our Sir Jamie, in a way is following in the very large footsteps. When I was reading through this chapter, I I thought a lot about something that Zach has talked pretty much at length about on this show, and that is at some point in the future, and it's probably not our future, but it's the future of Westeros, there'll be people who are looking back and and reading the stories that we're reading in, in full scale today. And, you know the fact that we get to sit here and re, you know sort of recount the history through all these different mechanics of what's taken place prior to this point i think it's really cool that at some point somebody will will open up this white book and and read 100 years down the line about Jamie Lannister yeah right. and and i i really got that sense for whatever reason much more so in reading through this chapter uh, and and maybe even some of of the Sansa chapter than I have before, but it it really did start to dawn on me like there will be tales told about all of these people and and what they're going through because they are going through one of their most critical times in history. It's so cool, right? When you think yeah. about it, and how it this chapter reacts with the chapter following with our Sansa chapter, we have Jamie living. And like you said, Micah, like for now at the beginning of this chapter, he's going through so much of the past, but we have Littlefinger that's kind of the opposite of that. His future is what will tell and what will be so fascinating. His past is so humble and almost obsolete and full of his own inside jokes at how dreary it is. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I, I know we'll get to it, though, but 
just asking both you and Eric who have not read the books, at least not up, you know, obviously you've read up to where we are, but how much of a, of a crafty motherfucker reading through that chapter is Jeez. he? He's amazing. <laughs> Too much. He's absolutely amazing. And like all the tourneys and all the bouts and all of the clans that have ridden across the countryside, not just present day, but in the past that are detailed in this white book, you know, it, it, the, not the least of which is all the people that Barristan Selmy ever wanted a, a mm-hmm. duel against, mm-hmm. but, but all of them are so different. Like George is not shy. This is just uh, a writer can, can kind of try and create this depth in, in other ways by not overtly mentioning them. But, but George just goes right out and is like, this happened now, and then this happened then, and this is what was unique and interesting about this guy, and that, of course, led to the deaths of these three others, and then so-and-so was imprisoned, we didn't hear from him again. You know, it's just like so balls-to-the-wall, crazy history, and then to think that that is, it's an unfinished book. You know, this, unlike the book we're reading, which was finished some time ago, <laughs> this white book is being is added the winds to. of winter. It's Jamie's <laughs> Two job. Two feet thick, one feet wide. <laughs> It's Jamie's job to add to this book, and that's pretty exciting. Maybe George is writing with his left hand. Maybe that's perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> that is what is taking so long. But I just think it's it's really cool that that he decided to take the time to write a chapter like this, where you do get so much yeah. rich, detailed history. Mm-hmm. We're coming off a chapter where Oberyn just declared that he would be Tyrion's champion uh, in his trial, and yet here you are in the very next chapter getting deep insight into what the Kingsguard really thinks of what happened uh, at Joffrey's wedding, you know, getting the veil pulled back a little bit to see that maybe they don't really believe uh, what Cersei has sort of forced them into saying they're just doing it to protect their own ass. But I'm, I'm really one that is a proponent of learning more and more about this world uh, that we're experiencing and, and just yeah, even as the chapter opens and then they get into the detail about the chair that yeah. that the head of the King's Guard sits in and it says worn by the bony arse of Barristan the Bull, Sir Gerald <laughs> Hightower before him, Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, Sir Ryan Red One and the Demon of Derry by Sir Duncan the Tall yeah. and the Pale Griffin, Alan Connington. Like these are all people that have preceded Jamie. And even he's like, how do I belong in such grand company? Yeah. He doesn't. But does he? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Not not now, but maybe at some point in the future. Did anyone else feel the glee that George R. R. Martin must have felt as he wrote these two chapters? Yeah. I feel like finally being able, Jamie's back in King's Landing. It's not the introductory chapter of him being there. He was out of sight at Tyrion's trial. But here George R. R. Martin is flexing his muscles, finally describing the White Tower and just throwing out the white descriptions, really blanketing us with this grand image. And I know I always reference the scale of how high fantasy this is, but imagine this tower, right? The slender structure of four stories built into an angle of the castle wall overlooking the bay. Right, this is where the king's guard. This is their place. I mean, these these are the best knights in, <laughs> in, in the civilized world to to their to all of their care of of the Western world of Westeros. This is their dormitory. This is where this is a cool place, the White Sword Tower, and Jamie Lannister now the new Lord Commander that Barristan Selmy has been 
displaced by Joffrey, uh, yeah. gets the top roost, and he has the coolest penthouse suite. And it's strange for him because he joined when he was 15 years old. And it just makes me think of, of, of like I said, the glee and enthusiasm George had for this chapter. It makes me think about how it's true throughout this entire chapter. It's just the constant pepperings of 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 questions that will, I'm sure, be far reaching and and far into the future and far reaching backward to all flesh out whatever end this particular tale has in it. It may have places if there's any further tales in this universe we don't know. And I think about great authors, and I think about the um, the presence of mind, knowing where their characters are in that moment. And I feel like it's just a mark of these wonderful writers. I'm thinking like Tolkien, I'm thinking like George R. R. Martin, where uh, the the universe is felt and like they understand the responsibility to it. And I can't help but hearken to something like J.K. Rowling. And I'm thinking about the the character of Harry Potter and how legendary I'm sure he will become in his own right and the world that he inhabits. Not to mention how legendary he already is by the time he's in the stories, right? Right. How something like starting a thing like Dumbledore's army, which is basically a secret society under the nose of a dictator regime inside of their school, will one day be something that, like, oh, Harry Potter and these these kids were, like, at the ground floor of the resistance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she knew that while she was writing it. We didn't know that because we were kids reading it. We didn't understand that she was writing the history of what would be the legend of Harry Potter in that moment. And that's what she's doing with these characters through the stuff we mentioned through the season with Tyrion and Jorah riding through old Valyria. And Jamie. now, George is making us very aware of the world. And I can only imagine what he has in store for these characters, for someone like Jamie after going through what he's... He's not going to have Jamie go through what he went through, lose a hand, and not have some kind of really incredible arc as the story moves on. You know? <laughs> That's true. And I'm just, I'm just waiting a bated breath because I know this is a calm right now in this mm-hmm. Storm of Swords. It's, we're around the end of it. We're nearing the end of the story. And, you know, Sansa's at the fingers. How strange and weird is that where we are with Littlefinger right now? And that we're even having these conversations. George's exhalation of breath, finally getting to admit all of these things that he's responsible for. Finally putting (laughs) he and Lysa together in the same room. And God knows. Let me just say, I know I'm rambling with this episode. These two chapters are full of a lot of creative release, I feel like. And it's just, it's hard to speak about without lots of enthusiasm because it's that awesome but like if if you're talking about enthusiasm like and grandeur look at look no further than jamie's reaction to reading and and to sitting in that chair i mean he feels humbled jamie who's a a pretty arrogant character usually Mm -hmm. uh and has bouts of it even in this chapter is is so humbled and feels like he doesn't deserve the chair that he's sitting in or at least when reading the, the, the book that all that is written about Barristan Selmy, Sir Barristan, who was Sir Barristan the Bold by his 16th year. I mean, come on. Yeah. And like reading through all of that, Jamie can't feel anything but inferior by comparison. This man that whose whose job his now is, uh, you know, it's like, how will I live up to this? It's a crazy feeling because you know, we've seen Jamie do some cool stuff, but but Sir Barristan, these these men that have come before, uh, were just total badasses. And I think probably part of the arc of this chapter is Jamie assessing or coming to the realization that there's nobody like Barristan left. 
um, right. to protect like, his his only remaining son. And I think we've talked about that a little bit in in previous chapters, the mm-hmm. quality of the King's Guard and how it has diminished. And I think you really get deep insight into that in this chapter when Jamie is is going through and addressing all of them, mm-hmm. the, the the overall pride and and I think that's the intent of how George writes the chapter because you're going through and and reading about somebody like Barristan Selmy you know sole champion of Lord Stephen's tourney at Storm's End where he unhorsed basically everybody who was anybody everybody you've ever heard of has been unhorsed the longest <laughs> italicized paragraph it, it really is but I, I I do think it was intentional on his part to to really build up the King's Guard and show the history of what it was and what you know really how it was respected and yeah. and and the level of individual uh, as well as swordsmen that you had to be in order to be a member of the King's Guard versus where it is now with the Kettle Blacks and Marin Trant and it's just such a a huge departure really the only one left that has any level of dignity with the exception of of the knight of flowers is probably balen swan yeah. and you know he's really the only one left of of the old guard and you can't help but wonder is this just is this the beginning of the end of of what traditionally the king's guard has meant yeah i mean i i, I hope not like i think but i i do compare it to the wall uh, and the men of the wall there they've you know they were once a grand institution as well they had more than one castle in operation or sorry more than three castles in operation uh and they had you know many more men uh now when it when it comes down to it when they need the most men when they need the most supplies they've got nothing they've got nothing but decay and and broken castles and now the king's guard as well especially for for the lannisters i know how we sort of adopted them as the family we're just hearing about the most instead of the Starks. But, you know, now that family is being torn to pieces. Um, you know, Tyrion's in, in, on trial for his life. Jamie is one-handed and Cersei's off, you know, with, with only one son to hold. And uh, it's it's upsetting, but you, you do see a, a marked departure from the years gone by and you have a feeling that something very foreboding is is going to happen. Jamie reminisces at one point and he says the world was simpler in those days and men as well as swords were made of finer steel. <laughs> and I, to me, that just encaptures this entire chapter. That's a, that's that, a good that line. one line. Yeah. It, it's like if you have a, this is going to sound pretty basic, but I think it sounds profound when it's all out, <laughs> is that uh, if you have a blunt sword or a sword that's not as sharp, you have to hack harder and longer at something you're trying to sever. So it's just like, you know, whereas things before, simpler times, they came off cleaner, you could kill somebody. Now it's just trying to hack like, uh, oh man, like the Karstark's head I was thinking of. but I was thinking of Theon yeah. and Mr. Cassell. Of oh, course yeah, you Roger wouldn't Cassell. think of that. <laughs> No. He's protecting yeah. Theon. So what's to blame for this? I know that this is a long-reaching discussion that we'll probably be able to focus an entire episode on in the future, but the wall used to be manned historically. Hell, it was built. This white sword tower used to be full of people like the Sword of the Morning. <laughs> you know, Sir Gerald Hightower. The list goes on. I could just imagine these guys all living together in the Sword of the Morning. It's, like, <laughs> it's just how he got his name. <laughs> Wow, Eric. Well, I don't <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't have uh, 
good dreams. <laughs> I feel like if you're living in the moment, you can't understand your own legend. Well, and, you know, he kind of, after what Micah said about swords are made of finer steel, and the next line he says, or was only that he had been 15. Right. You know, so he's, he's comparing, he's in the moment versus, you know, his heroes that he grew up with. But they really were cool, right? Tower of Joy. Anyone else getting excited? <laughs> hmm? Pretty exciting. Oh, gosh. No, but you're I've right. I've been reading some articles <laughs> that I probably shouldn't have been reading. Uh, that's book one stuff. You're fine, right? Uh, well, not, <laughs> not the article I read, but oh, that's okay. okay. So I feel like, you know, I know what's happening is really bad. This great threat is going to take a lot of innocent lives. But maybe the Seven Kingdoms need to be shaken up a little bit. You got these kind of guys in the White Sword Tower. You know what I mean? Like, we need a little bit of urgency. Grumpkins and Snarks do exist, my friends. And that wall should be manned, my friends. Yeah. Who let you be so lazy? You know? What's happening in the world now that there isn't a magical threat from the North? Well, it's coming back. That's true. But, I mean, these guys couldn't even protect their king against poisoning. And there were five of them there. It's just like, oh, none of them could lift a finger. None of them figured it out in time. And that little finger, well-versed <laughs> Yeah, that was deception. Amazing. That was really, really quite good. But, I mean, in, in the interview, it's just uh, that Jamie has with these guys. It's like none of us were looking at what they should have been looking at, and they didn't know they weren't trained. It's basically Cersei. You've got Osmond, who is just like a, a, a sword for hire that, that Cersei brings in uh it's it's the wrong way to do it and jamie knows it and you've just got these thugs basically that are that are kingsguard now but i love how he's 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 you know he's asking him you know did Tyrion poison my nephew and i love how sir osmond just kind of shrugs it's like sir osmond gave a lazy (laughs) shrug like he's kind of like i don't know like maybe i just work here yeah i i was only here to protect him whatever but you know it just reflects the caliber oh yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I I think the line the Terrell boy is angry and Bale and Swans ashamed from the other three Jamie sensed only indifference. Yeah. And that that's a perfect description and and so even even just before that he asked himself the question you know, how did this happen? How is it that the king's guard has fallen so low? And he blames himself. He's I, he said I opened the door and did nothing when the vermin began to crawl inside. And and that's what he's equating these other members of the King's Guard to. And the shrugging is important because you're talking about the fact that the King just died. The most important person in the entire realm, whether we like him or not, was just murdered. And one of the responses of the King's Guard is just to shrug his shoulders. Right. I mean, the King's Guard used to be full of people. Like I said, like Arthur Day, and there was a snippet. Uh, when Jamie was wondering, am I becoming the Smiling Knight? It says, and he held his own against the Smiling Knight, though it was Sir Arthur who slew him. What a fight that was, and what a foe. The Smiling Knight was a madman. Cruelty and chivalry all jumbled up together, but he did not know the meaning of fear. And Dane, with dawn in hand, dot, dot, dot. Jamie's like thinking, like, oh, God, with dawn in hand. The outlaw's longsword had so many notches by the sword, uh, by the end that Sir Arthur had stopped to let him fetch a new one <laughs> mid-fight. He's, and then the guy goes, it's, it's that white sword of yours I want, the robber knight told him as they resumed, though he was bleeding from a dozen wounds by then. Then you shall have it, sir, the sword of the morning replied, 
and made an end of it. I mean, a, a dozen wounds. Let's just <laughs> ruminate. It's like it's like Boromir, right? I mean, come on. They took the little ones all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you're just talking about badass guys. It's these guys are clearly. Uh, Jamie's the only one I think who's got any real metal here. They deserve to be in this role. And I think that's the point we're going over. That's the point we're driving into you listening and that Micah was discussing. They they were, you know, they they deserve to de- to defend the king. And I think right. with with uh Barrison's departure and the manner that happened, and I love that he stuck around long enough to write his own like departure <laughs> that he was kicked out because of his age. Uh yeah. basically marked a, a regime change and Jamie's coming into it because you know, this is his new role. And I feel like we, we've been there as Jamie has sort of become a different man due to what he's experienced. Like, he's always had this inside of him, but he grew up a certain way. And there's a lot of different factors that could could make him so tortured and changing. But I, I'm, I'm beginning to understand why so many... And I've said that probably last year when we were going through the first half of A Storm of Swords. But I'm understanding more and more how so many people called Jamie like one of the best written characters in the show. Because just this chapter and the way he connects with... The world around him is is cool. It's it's like he is Tyrion's brother. You know, they're so much alike. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I agree. And and going off the point of of what you just read with the smiling knight, and and just Jamie's character overall, I I feel like he's in this constant internal struggle in this chapter, trying to define who he is. You know, the fact that he says that he had wanted to be Sir Arthur Dane, but somewhere along the line, he'd become the smiling knight really in reference to what he did to the Mad King. You know, he thought that he was doing what was just and what was right for for the good of everyone, but yet nobody could see that. They just look at him as, as a Kingslayer at the end of the day. And we see other moments throughout the course of this chapter where he's constantly trying to figure out really what his place is. And I think you get that when he's reading through the White Book and he's looking at Sir Barristan and he's seeing that his paragraph doesn't, even come close to matching up to some of those that have preceded him. So I, I agree. Great, he is though. one of the best. He is one of the best written characters. Absolutely. Well, and we kind of start to see him grow a conscience a little bit almost. I feel like he's come a long way since we first met him. He really has. Pushing a kid out the wind out of a window. <laughs> I mean, all the stuff with Brienne too and Sir Loris in this chapter too. Like, yeah, absolutely. He, he really doesn't want her to occupy that black cell for very much longer at all. Well, he's gotten to know her. He spent a lot of time with her. And I, I think he knows deep down that she's not responsible for what happened to Renly. And, and he's able to convince Loris of that, I think, at least in part by the end of this chapter. When the members of the Kingsguard began to file in after Jamie was seated and was collecting his thoughts... Uh, they begin to file in. It says the other sworn brothers filed in. <laughs> well, that settles it. <laughs> that was in my brain. Thanks, George. One by one. Sirs, Jamie said in a formal tone when all five had assembled. Who guards the king? My brothers, Sir Osney and Sir Osfried, Sir Osmond replied. And my brother, Sir Garland, said the Knight of Flowers. Will they keep him safe? They will, my lord. Be seated then. I love that, you know? In addition yeah. to the history that we're getting peppered, this just this says a lot too. George was able to accomplish a lot and a few different, just a few lines there. Well, and, and and that it is the history that they have to ask, they have to assure the king's safety before they can begin a meeting. It's pretty. It's it's as good a ritual as I've seen observed in King's Landing. How often do we get to go this deep into 
you know, this like I said, we're this far into a song of ice and fire, and like George hasn't given us the description of where they live or the way the Kingsguard speaks to one another, but we're we're kind of getting an inside scoop right now, yeah, that we have never gotten. I mean, I would have loved to see Barristan in this role, but you just know that it would have just been the most badass thing ever. It would have been like when you're in school to everybody listening. And there's that one class you never really caused any trouble in. You always took notes. You really respected the teacher. And that respect kind of translated into you pretty much always getting a good grade. That's what it would have been like if Barristan Selmy was residing, I think, over the King's Guard. Yeah, totally agree. I I think there's a bit of resentment, though, from some that Jamie's back and that he is Lord Commander of the King's Guard at this point. I don't know who would be more... Proper to put in his position, right? Considering yeah. everything else, just like Barristan, he was chosen at the age of 15. And I know that the the circumstances were questionable for the Mad King to put him in the role as someone who was worthy to be in the Kingsguard. But Jamie is a very accomplished fighter as well, very accomplished. And even though he's missing his hand, I feel for how useless they are right now, and how useless the members are, I don't understand why, even with his hand situation, why anyone else would have been put there. You know what I mean? It's a fair point, and, and he clearly wants it. He said as much to Tywin in, yeah. in his previous chapter, and now it's his to uh, to rule over, basically. And the first meeting goes swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> Only one death threat. Not too bad. I just I love how he just swiftly puts everyone in their place, just like one by one. Calls them each out. It's great. It's pretty easy to call these guys yeah, out. The king just died, so it's their one job. <laughs> so, yeah, so <laughs> like, let's get it. Look, together. guys. Look. All five of you are present, he says. All five of you were protecting him, and yet he's dead. Yeah, and, and you get a, a, a little bit of insight into the minds of, of each of the members that are present. And I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Jamie really only thinks that. Loris makes sense out of, out of anybody that it could be Sansa who was the one responsible for what happened to Joffrey. Uh, I, I think deep down, Jamie one, wants to believe that Tyrion didn't do it, and, and two, probably knows that he wasn't responsible for what happened to Joffrey. I, I, you know, they, they're obviously brothers, and, and so I would hope that even though he knows the relationship that existed between the two of them, that there's probably a pretty good chance that Tyrion wasn't responsible for what happened. But yet, I mean, Loras is the only one who brings up a new angle or has anything new to say at all, because it's all just stuff you've heard, the rumors of, and, and a recap of what Tyrion did by emptying the cup before, you know, bringing it to the, the King's lips for that final time. And Loras is able to add that, oh yeah, don't forget, by the way, Marjorie was also drinking in the cup, but also that it was Sansa, but this still is not too new information, so it's still a little lackluster. It doesn't give them anything to go off of. They just kind of have to, this is sort of like a regrouping and just making sure that the new king, that Tommen doesn't die, and that's why, I mean, Jamie appoints his taste tester and stuff, but it's like they, they can't really do their jobs. They're a little stunted by their, already by their, um, lack of uh lack of skill here because they're not actively pursuing leads necessarily um at this time yeah and they were fooled by a grand plan as well it wasn't oh the matter of combat that we learn about in the next chapter yeah uh, but i i think you get 
a sense of where all of these people stand just based on their answers, mm. right? You have Sir Boris Blunt and Marin Trant who are pretty much the Queen's men saying that it was definitely Tyrion. And then Sir Balin Swan jumping in and, and saying that Tyrion wasn't alone on the dais. So you, you can sense there's a little bit of indecision on his part. But right. then you have Oswald Kettleblack, who's just an idiot and, and just you know is making jokes at the fact that Sir Marin said that Grandmaster Pycelle and the High Septon were up there. But yet it's it's Loris who offers up an, an alternative suspect in, in Sansa. Mm-hmm. And and I think that just paints a, a broader picture of how the minds of all of these people currently work and, and how they're going to work moving forward. And we learned that Boris Blunt and, or Blount, and Jamie are not going to get along beyond this point. He sees his size, takes it as a great opportunity to pull an old Jamie Lannister and be like, well, you're the most useful, useless of the bunch. You can be his taste tester. You look like a man who enjoys his food. <laughs> you will find carrots and peas less threatening. <laughs> apple pies, apple cakes. Yeah. Boris is like, you speak to me thus, you? Yeah. And Jamie, rightly so, not really. I mean, yes, this is the King's Guard. You should have died before you let Tommen be taken. And this is where he kind of digs at him. As you die protecting Eris, sir. And then it basically goes to fisticuffs. He's saying you should be the food tester. What else is a cripple good for? And then Jamie bluffs an excellent poker hand. He's like, all right, let's fight. It's sort of like uh, at the end of A Princess Bride. Yeah, a bit. To the pain. <laughs> Except Jamie can at least move. So clearly he's got Sir Boris on his side. Clearly. Yeah. So he stomps out, not fighting Jamie. Spits at his feet. And then we moved on to our good friend, Sir Osmond. This one was interesting. Who knighted you? <laughs> Sir Robert <laughs> Stone. Uh, Stone. He's, he's, he's dead, dead now. now. <laughs> of course you know him right yeah i think we get some more uh relevant information as it relates to the kettle blacks in the sansa chapter that we're going to cover next but i'm really not sure what to make of this guy like he's just an idiot <laughs> or, or maybe he's pretending to be one i don't know I, I i i'm not sure either i'm kind of a fan of this guy i mean he's in the king's guard so he can fight i mean yeah, and he, I'm, clearly he's not following his vows, just judging by how, how lightly he takes the matter. Uh, it's, I'm interested to see where this goes. I like the fact that he's just kind of, he's a little bit cheeky, and like I said, this wouldn't go down if Barris and Selmy were there. He's telling uh, Jamie of all the different places that he's experienced, and uh, like Micah said, there's so much congruency between this moment and the next chapter that it's almost staggering how interestingly they go together because here we are in this place that's storied and that we've never been in before. And then we go to a place that's storied, like the fingers, and we've never been before, and we're getting inside of a head of a character that we've never really been inside of that deeply before. Plenty, but it's it goes to another level in the next chapter. And they're connected by these people that are being used by these players. And you see him try to restore some of the the integrity of the King's Guard when he goes after Sir Marin Trant right. uh, as it related to Sansa and his treatment of her. And, and he basically says that he was just obeying Joffrey's orders. And Jamie's response is, well, you obey mine now. The king is eight years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Let's so be great. real. You got to protect him from himself. I liked that. If Tommen wants you to saddle his horse, obey him. 
if he tells you to kill his horse, come to me. <laughs> yes, that would be very Joffrey-esque of Tommen if he tried to kill his horse. I think Marin gets the point. Obviously, nobody likes to be called out like this, but it's just, it's true. Everything that Tyrion thought about Marin Trent and everything about that Jaime knows about him is that he is is vicious, and that was just, it's really just an excuse uh, with him. And, and Jaime is trying to uphold him to a higher standard. Yes, I hope someone stabs at his eyes one day. I, I can't get that scene out of my head. Yeah, that was definitely top of the list of most gruesome deaths in season five. It was close to the Oberyn one. Don't talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it seems like he's testing all of them. He's seeing how they're going to respond when they're challenged, and some of them fare better than others. Right. And... Next, he turns to Sir Balin Swan and, and questions not necessarily the allegiance of Balin, but of his family, his father, his his brother. And I, I have a good feeling about him, though. I feel like his loyalty will stand the test of time. You do? What gives you that feeling? Because to me, he seems like the only legitimate member of the King's Guard that has proven himself up until this point. He's disciplined. He follows Jamie's command procedure and he's polite. I think we're meant to feel good about this, even though he's questioned his loyalty by setting up the situation that his brother rode alongside Rinley and Stannis and his father did nothing when the banners were called to fight against them. What happens if they ride against us in the future and you stand between them and the king What's going to happen then? And I've, I just thought it was a great connection to the past when he was basically like, my lord, that will never happen. Jamie says, it happened to me. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's exactly it. Is These loyalties matter. These alliances, these allegiances, people who don't go to war. It's smart people like Jamie who foresee problems in looking at that strategy, looking at history. Again, it's 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 pretty much going back to what I think of is 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 Jane Westerling, like Rob's wife in the books, whose family were I mean, it's kind of foreboding. Like they were Lannister bannermen. And as soon as he married her, you're just like, Well, this can't be good. Um, because it it it's something about the loyalty, something about the history and the families doesn't sit right. And so Jamie with Balin Swan is saying, you know, you've got family that's playing for the like actively playing for the other side. What are you going to do? Because there, there could be that situation where your brother is in the throne room with this, you know, a sword for the king. What are you going to do? And I think it's a, it's, it's extremely appropriate to ask that kind of question. I was going to ask: Is it a fair question given the person who's asking it? That it's Jamie, I think so. and that that's his son, who's the king. Absolutely. No, the fact that he's been in that position himself before, and he chose to protect his family over doing his duty. But we know Jamie was protecting King's Landing. Yeah. Not everyone else knows, though. That's true. So for the sake of this conversation, I mean, to him and Sir Balon, you're exactly right. And Balon replies, and he says, My lord, he drew himself up, on my sword, on my honor, on my father's name, I swear, I shall not do as you did. <laughs> and then he gets to Loras. This is one of those things these two chapters have in common with each other, but Jamie has an epiphany in talking with Loras that he's like, oh my God, he's me. <laughs> and that connection's also made, I think, by Littlefinger in the next chapter. 
and it's just not something you would readily like see necessarily. Um, but it's funny because it happens quite soon. And then you just see these two characters talking to each other and you're just like, holy shit. Like Jamie, Jamie has a little bit more maturity cause he's been around a little bit longer, but all intents and, and, and purposes, Loris is a young him. And it's, it's interesting because on one hand, Jamie's vetting this guy. And on the other hand, there's like, in, in his responses, there's something there that he can't help but admire because he is sort of an egotist. He's almost giving him career counseling. You know, hey, this is how, this is how a, I did it. This is how you it. should do it. Have a biscuit. You might want to check yourself. And on this certain angle, he was like, you're 17 and a knight of the King's Guard. You must be proud. Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight was 17 when he was named. Did you know that? He says, yes, my lord. And he goes, did you know that I was 15? <laughs> That as well, my lord, he smiled. He says, I was bigger than you, Sir Loris. I was bigger, I was stronger, and I was quicker, Loris says. And now you're older, my lord. <laughs> he laughs. So this is a pleasant exchange. It's really cool to see these two characters together uh, in this way. I really enjoyed the reading of this part of the chapter and uh, how, like I said, how their relationship has kind of developed and their connection. And also just you know, seeing right now that these are, these are two at one point with Jamie of the most skilled swordsmen uh, in the land and they're both highborn. And it's interesting to see them have this conversation in this place. We know that we're getting like a, this is a treat for the readers of this book. It's a jumping off point to a lot of great fan fiction. Is it now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, the, but there is a third part. There is a, a third member of this triangle of this conversation, which is Brienne because Brienne sort of has bested both of them in combat um, before. So, like, these two men are great, but then there's also Brienne. And I don't know, it's just, like, learning about Sir Garland, learning about the, the Renly stuff from Blackwater. Yeah. And how that was Littlefinger's idea um, as well. That that was just something that, he's like, why don't you do this? And that the armor didn't fit, that it would have been Loras who did it, but it wasn't. Good old Garland. Interesting nuance. Yeah. The, uh, plot the mask was pulled back. <laughs> yeah. You get a... Little nugget there, too, about who was responsible for that suggestion. And I know we're going to talk more about how influential of a person Littlefinger is, just in general. That suggestion, over the course of what we read for this episode, is like the smallest thing. It's like the kernel that that, that is added to the, to the entire truckload of stuff that he's done. Just small little suggestions, tucking of the correct string in the correct place. Uh, but it worked, you know. Some knights and lordlings, Jamie even says, were bothered. It would frighten Stannis' ignorant men at arms was Littlefinger's plan, and it did so much more than that. Just a small little thing, the matter of changing his clothes, the matter of wearing different armor. He saw that coming. Yeah. It, such a mastermind, such a player of the game, and next chapter is definitely going to be fun to talk about. But I really did enjoy the conversation between Jamie and Loris, uh, especially when they got up to the part where Loris was being a little bit bitter about Brienne and how she won the melee <laughs> she, against she's kind of cheating. him. <laughs> yeah, and Jamie threw out, well, I seem to recall another knight who was fond of tricks. He once rode a mare in heat against a foe mounted on a ban- bad-tempered stallion. What sort of trickery did Brienne use? And we all remember that particular fight that the Knight of Flowers had and 
that poor horse. Well, too mean, many horses lose their heads in too Game many. of Thrones. That is true. I mean, Jamie's the great equalizer. He's saying basically that these guys are the same. I mean, they're not being punished here for their loyalty to Renly. That's been forgiven, forgotten. But it's it's deeper. It's like Jamie. Well, first of all, Jamie wants to see Brienne released. And second, there's this period of because he's going back, you know, and 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 talking about the night that Renly died, um, like examining Renly's body and stuff. He he also has this problem where he's slain Robar and Emmon, two two of the other guys, in in agony, and he's 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 run down, you know, these these fellow members of the, for for traitors. Except Loras now has this guilt because there's such uncertainty surrounding Renly's death, and this is something that Jamie, I think, is in a unique position to. I don't want to say bond with him about, but help him through because it's it's just an unfortunate circumstance. That's intense when you think about it. It makes me think of Anakin and the Jedi Council. Uh, they I were mean, animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. Worst scene I've ever seen. But Tuscan Raiders. You, you can imagine that uh, women and the children. Now you can imagine that that Loras was pretty damn upset by what happened, and that's a lot of this conversation. They're they're really they're really going head to head with this. We learn of Loris's dedication to Renly even further, burying him with his own hands, taking him to a place that he was showed when they were kids and when he was squiring at Storm's End. Renly's going to rest in peace, which I found to be particularly fascinating, knowing the kind of people that are coming from the north. It's good. I feel good for Renly, knowing that if they do succeed, maybe he'll he'll lie down for an even further amount of time. And uh, he says that he will defend King Tommen with all of his strength. He will do it. He will accept his new place. He seems to have... He's following his family well. Uh, if only Tywin had that kind of like allegiance. That If only his kids listened as well as the Tyrells are listening and going along with things. Uh, he would have a much easier life. But Sir Loris is doing fine. And he like even agrees to hear Jamie out about Brienne. And he even says, I tried to, to stab through Renly's gorget, which is his armor at the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't. This was some great steel. He was the king. None of us could do it. He says that the mountain, nice little mention there, would, would need an axe to do it. And he's not even sure that that would happen as well. So he understands that there's some shadiness with the deal, even though he knows how strong she is. And he agrees to take Jamie's charge, which is to go and have a conversation with her in her tower cell himself. And if he does not believe her by the end of it, then they'll take the action that he sees fit. But he's confident. Jamie defends Brienne so eloquently and says, listen, like she's she's stubborn, she's reckless, she's pig-headed, and I know people, and she was not lying. Mm-hmm. She is more sad, as sad, grieves just as strongly as you do about Renly's death. He's like, you, know, you could almost hear him thinking to a sickening level. I got so tired of how romantic she was about oh Renly. <laughs> so Loris agrees. Yeah, he's like, dude, you, you don't think I would have given her like you don't think I gave her shit about Renly like every day on the road. The amount of stuff I said about him. <laughs> I know I know it's genuine. Like I know she's really upset about it. But yet he has this again with Jamie and his like upholding these standards, like he did put Brienne in, in the in the cell to begin with because this member of the Kingsguard has you know, alleged and has this problem with her. Like Brienne didn't deserve any of that. Like they were on good terms when they got to King's Landing and still she's in the cell and he's like, yeah, I'd really like not to 
keep doing this. He's like he's going through official channels. He's not throwing his weight around like he's doing the proper thing here. I have a lot of respect for Jamie after reading this chapter. Definitely. But not as much respect as I have for Littlefinger. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, if you'd ever see Littlefinger in pink satin and mirror lace, you might change your mind. <laughs> I thought that's what Lysa was wearing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, it's completely possible. A lot happened in this chapter. Um, on many levels, technically, figuratively. Oh, boy, Sansa. I mean, Elaine. Ah, uh, yep. I mean, Peter. I wanted to ask right off the bat, though, how did you guys like this little uh, side journey to the fingers well, going here as opposed to going straight to the Vale, Lysa coming down, meeting with Peter in his home? I, I really liked it, actually, because it's clearly it's a little bit more insight into Peter's um, origin. And I know there's only so many times you can count the shit, pe- the sheep pellets and the stones, and there's a lot of jokes about them, which is why this chapter, as I said before, is like one of the funniest. But it is just so interesting. The very few people that Peter knows that are of a of a low caliber. There's the woman who keeps having kids, you know, and she never tells men no, and this other stuff. And it's just like these. You can see how. You ultimately believe why Peter wanted more for himself. I yeah. mean, he's got some land, you know, which is nice. But this was all something that, that he earned. When you, when you see the, sort of the ruminations, when it's talked about what he has accomplished, what he has managed to, you know, brokering the alliance with the Tyrells, getting um, the Queen of Thorns and getting Ser Dantos and getting everybody to do what they did, not to mention the Lysa stuff, what he had her do, but... It's amazing. You're you're you get to learn all this stuff while sitting in his like in his domain back while where pomegranate he, juice drips from his chips. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 pretty it's special actually. I I I prefer it. I really do. I think Oh, definitely. <laughs> hearing yeah, seeing how far he's come Absolutely. while sitting in the 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 room where he's come from is is pretty is pretty impressive. It's pretty nice. Yeah, no. This is absolutely the natural progression. I understand why the show did what they did, but I mean, this is a book. It's better. Uh hands down, we're getting to learn so much more about Lord Peter. And like I said, I felt like George just exhaled so much. And uh I felt like it was truly masterful. Just the way that we we came out, and Sansa was still in the Merlin King, so establishing where we are in the ship um, early on from the last chapter, and then eventually reaching the fingers, and she didn't even know that she was on the way there. And and Peter is just having a great time, cheerful as ever. Good morrow. The salt air is bracing, don't you think? It always <laughs> sharpens my appetite. He put a sympathetic arm about her shoulders. Are you quite well? You look so pale. It's only my tummy. The seasickness. <laughs> and he tells her, a little wine will be good for that. <laughs> yeah, get drunk. You'll feel a lot better. A little wine. Settle that tummy right up. I like how he lies right off the bat about Tyrion. Oh, my gosh. And mm. maybe this is what he believes the truth to be. I don't necessarily believe that. But the fact that he tells Sansa that when Tyrion grew bored with his first wife, he made a gift of her to his father's guardsmen. No. I don't think she believes that. Come on. Well, actually, I don't know about if she believes it or not, because there's still a couple of levels of, of Sansa. Sansa's still in that in, in the teacher's, you know, um office at this point. 
uh, having the, you, you've got Peter who's grandstanding and she, she is still, she's being handed her, her new identity, right? It's, it's not something that she's necessarily earning for herself just yet, uh, because she's still in shock from Joffrey's death. I'm not saying that Sansa believes it. This may be what Baelish believes to be the truth, but from everything we know about Tysha mm-hmm. with Tyrion and mm-hmm. how he has lamented about her throughout the first three books that we've read, what we've gotten glimpses of in the show, we know this is definitely not true. Well, no, it was uh, Tyrion's so- family who gave Tysha to the men um, to embarrass Tyrion, to teach him a lesson or hurt him. Mm-hmm. It was, it's kind of the opposite of what Baelish is telling Sansa. I think he's trying to very early on disconnect her in any way from feeling sympathy for Tyrion and, and his situation. A little jealousy. She is married to him. Yeah. yeah. Maybe some of that as well. Throughout all of this chapter, littered in with his great advice and teachings about how to play the game and revealing his grand plan in a lot of ways to her, we're subtly being showed his his need to impress her in a very gallant, you know, charming way, sort of casual coolness and be impressed by all the stuff that I've done. So I, I still think that that's there, even though he's not, he's, I feel he's playing the long game with her rather than being a complete creep. Uh, <laughs> this is just, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like his coolness, um, his casualness with, you can be my daughter instead of something like forward is telling. And then we get this great introduction into the fingers, his ancestral home. Ah, the fingers, Lord of sheep shit and master of the drear fort. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, "Uh, you're a woman grown. You need to make your own home. And she says, but not here. (laughs) It looks so. (laughs) And he completes her sentence. Small and bleak and mean. It's all that and less. Yes. The fingers are a lovely place if you happen to be a stone. It's a rare thing for a boy born heir to stones and sheep pellets to wed the daughter of Hoster Tully and the widow of John Aaron. This is what I'm talking about grandstanding. Like, he doesn't even like her. He doesn't even like Lysa. And there's a little bit of that that I think shines through still in, in, in this book, although it's it's played low-key because of the amazing things that he's accomplishing in the wedding. Um, but it's it's just... Peter Baelish is such an interesting character, and this is really, this is his chapter. I know it's a Sansa chapter, but this is really his chapter for exposition, for us being able to just really admire the guy from start to finish. It, it's true he gets a little creepy with Sansa, but he he's he's succeeding, and far few, uh, sorry, uh, too few characters that we're reading at in the books are in places of where they're succeeding. Right. And... Um, that's kind of what makes it dynamic and interesting. It is fun to kind of see that taking place. He's gloating. I he mean, is. he's gloating and fucking, and <laughs> and that is and getting married and you know inheriting the entire Erie and and it's just it's it's a wonderful day for Peter Baelish. Well, I can imagine if you had been reading these books without having seen the show as they were meant to be, you'd be mm-hmm. quite impressed with the situation he's being stuck with. I mean, they land in the fingers and she's showing, he's showing her around and she's learning about, oh, you're a kettle black. <laughs> the guy traveling with me. And he's like, yeah, of course. You know, when I heard that, when the imp sent off her guards, the queen had Sir Lancel hire swords for her. Lancel found her the kettle blacks. 
which delighted your little lord husband. Since the lads were in his pay through his man Bronn, he chuckled, but it was me who told Oswald to go get his sons to King's Landing when I learned that Bronn was looking for swords. Three hidden daggers, Elaine, now perfectly placed. Well, shit. Nicely done. So the Kettle Blacks are Peter's men? Whose men really are they at the end of the day? For now, they might be Baelish's. Ah, okay. The best part is he knows that, and he's prepared for that reality, which is something that the more antiquated lords are are going to learn the hard way from unfortunately yeah well I, and that's the key i i think like sir dantos these kettle blacks are expendable they're not in any way integral at least for him to his end game they're serving his purpose for right now and that's all well and good but i'm sure that given his track record he'll move on to using other pieces to win this game if that's what needs to be done. Part of what I really enjoyed about this chapter is you just see what a master manipulator he is, how if this was a game of chess, he just moves his pieces so gracefully along the board, unbeknownst to his opponent, and has them checkmated before they even know what's happened. And he's fond of Sansa. He is fond of Sansa. <laughs> but I mean, he's he's totally playing her too, like... With what he says, and again, it's gloating, but of of his father's or grandfather's uh, shield is sitting in the, in the room when Sansa and he walk in before they get food, and and it's the Titan of Bravos is is you know on on his grandfather's shield, and he says, oh, she Sansa says, oh, it's very fierce, and he says, it's rather too fierce for an amiable fellow like me. I much prefer my mockingbird. He is understating how dangerous he is, or or he's just. He's he's quipping about how the Mockingbird is is less blunt, less obvious, um, but he's just killed the king. Nothing says home like the smell of burning dung. Yeah, just light a dung fire. Yeah, I, I love that beach meeting. That was <laughs> some. This would have been beautiful if so much of this was adapted. I know this is just reading this, and it's just in my mind and in my imagination. I want to have seen it on screen, but it's so vivid in my imagination. Yeah, where they are. And he quickly quotes to Sansa how to become a different person, like already sort of practicing lines because Lysa is on the way. Yeah. And again, kind of a kind of an abrupt learning of his of his wedding and all that will happen from it. But um, he's moving up slowly but surely. He's he's found a way to not be blamed for things and to advance in this world. Right. Well, he says as much with the fact that if Sansa were to be found out to be in the veil it would be a massive problem or just the fact that she's alive she's roaming around outside of king's landing uh, it would be a huge problem for Baelish, for lysa for anybody who is around sansa should those in king's landing find out that she's alive and, and what her location is i mean she's basically a murder suspect for the capital right. and he's still operating within those limits i know that he's reaching very far and wide but uh you know he's created this ecosystem playing within the rules unbeknownst to the rule makers yeah what did you think about him taking this giant bite out of this juicy pomegranate and everything is just dripping down his mouth and onto his clothes and sansa opts for a pair it's like you have these two people who are sitting across from each other and i think it just represents where they are in the story and and where they are in the game, right? 
Baelish is willing to take a huge ass bite out of everything, get his hands dirty, and have blood on his hands, whereas Sans is just very still prim and proper and maybe that will eventually switch and, and she'll choose to eat the pomegranate as opposed to the pear. Just go right for it. I I really like that. Because even after everything you know, everything she's been through, she's still got her still got her manners. She's holding on to him. Well, and I like earlier how she was saying can I be a trueborn daughter? You know, even in her, <laughs> even in her, her fake, her new, not fake life, but you know, she, she even then wants to be a trueborn and a daughter of some knight. And I, I just think she, it's so Sansa of her to, to say something like that. Yeah, but even she had a little bit of the pear juice there. That was so. I, I just wondered if it was a some sort of analogy or an indication that even though she's going to go about things in a prim and proper way she's still going to take a really large bite out of of what's to come still going to get mm. stuff done yeah when i there's something so intimate and i want to talk about uh we said Baelish was kind of creepy but there's something so intimate about this this relation when he's giving her her new identity too because she asks you know what she'd be called she she's she wanted to be called Catelyn after her mother but Baelish was like, no, 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 that's too obvious. But how about my mother? And then, so that's that's his mother's name is Elaine. And he's like, oh, how about that? Do you like it? Because you think he really wants her to be his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's he's told her. He's told her that she could, in in a, in a better world, she would be uh, his his daughter. And that's and and Sansa actually ruminates on that for a minute. She's like, oh yeah, you know, we talked about. She actually thinks he's a bit of a liar or hypocrite or something because he's getting married to her aunt and she's like i thought it was my mom that you loved and all that stuff she's she's kind of confused trying to think about that but but baelish gives her the name of his mom passes her off as his daughter he's definitely and, and he's just saved her from king's landing so he's he's definitely got a vested interest in her mm-hmm. um but to what end is it that he loved cat and that that was that's why he's doing this or does he in the future want to marry her who who knows the part, the parts i really love about this chapter is some of the next couple of of paragraphs really where he goes into talking about ned he goes into talking about cersei and you really get oh, a sense yeah. for what is going on in his mind now remember he's talking to ned stark's daughter and he's saying you must miss your father terribly i know lord edward was a brave man honest and loyal but quite a hopeless player yeah in King's Landing, there are two sorts of people, the players and the pieces. And then he goes on to talk about Cersei yeah. because Sansa asks, and I was a piece? Yes, but don't let that trouble you. You're still half a child. Every man's a piece to start with and every maid as well, even some who think they are players. Cersei, for one, she thinks herself sly, but in truth, she is utterly predictable. Her strength rests on her beauty, birth, and riches. Only the first of those is truly her own, and it will soon desert her. I pity her, then. She wants power, but has no notion what to do with it when she gets it. <laughs> Everyone wants something, Elaine. And when you know what a man wants, you know who he is and how to move him. Mm. That's so much information right yeah, there. It's a lot of information. Yeah, that's great. It's a good contrast to, you know, we've been in King's Landing, and so we've been under Cersei's thumb a little bit, and to step back mm. and have Littlefinger say, wait a second, you know, she's just really predictable. You know, maybe she's not, maybe we shouldn't be so afraid, afraid of her. Yeah. And he's saying all this from the fingers. Yeah. Where they're, 
roasting near a dung fire. Standing on some rocks. From a safe distance, though, bottom line. And remember how close he was to death at one point when he challenged Cersei. That's true. So yes, talking from probably what's hundreds, if not a couple thousand miles away, is always safe. Yeah, He can call her predictable, boring, not, you know, a good, not a big threat now. But, but he's got every reason to feel good about himself. Sorry yeah. to cut you off, but no, it, he really it, does. Yeah, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the chapter. He's chipper. He's happy. But yeah. there's no reason he shouldn't be. I mean, he's escaped King's Landing, yet he's still pulling the strings there, and he's going to marry into the Vale and and have the ability. The Vale. Yeah, he's Lord of Harrenhal. He's got Catelyn Stark's daughter by his side. Not much is going wrong for him right now. Perfect. <laughs> Started from the bottom. Actually, the I think the only thing that goes wrong for him is he doesn't get to have the wedding where he wants to have the wedding. No, I right? I, <laughs> I was rooting for him to get it right, you know. But she yeah. just couldn't wait she couldn't that wait. Lysa Aaron. <laughs> Can you blame her? <laughs> she just couldn't wait. He's just too delicious of a slice of man meat. She took one look at him. Riving in the fingers, she's like, "My God, that man is all I need." <laughs> like we can celebrate the wedding now. Let's yeah. just have it later. This is the one. Lysa was such an unexpected surprise <laughs> to this chapter. It was fantastic, and it just—I don't know—it was almost too different, considering all that we've been a part of in a storm of stories. It was wonderful to have her back in this manner, and we've been learning so much about the ins and outs of what particularly he's done to integrate his passions and desires as he's visited these places like going on jobs essentially for the royal family he's used that access to other important families to manipulate them and input his ideas like with the tyrells and with with loris even becoming a member of the king's guard that being his idea yeah for hiring singers to sing about things that were opposite of what he was saying like joffrey was such a wonderful guy when she, when he was getting questioned by lady olena early on yet he had people spread tales of how bad he was it was so smooth it's very smooth very smooth that is being presented to us while he's speaking to sansa while he's making this grand escape while he's about to get married to a strategic leader of a very important part of the kingdoms and it's cool because he is jovial and she is happy, but we know the whole time why he's doing this. We have just had a whole chapter of him being pleased and happy and making these plans without batting an eye at the moral implications of what he's doing. And so he just, like him getting married to someone for what it's going to bring him is just normal. Just It's just how the game's going. And he's just loving every minute of it. And, and so is Lysa, for that matter. Mm. He's got her fooled. Yeah, and he does have her full. The huge reveal comes with Olena Terrell, right? And this really throws Sansa through a loop. She's she's not sure what to think because Olena was always so nice to her. Marjorie was always so nice to her. How could this family possibly have anything to do with killing Joffrey? And we know that Baelish was the one, really, who orchestrated most of this. And you touched on all the different things he did previously but to me to get that reveal so quickly after yeah mm. it is huge and in a story like this you would think that that would be played out for a little bit not to say that we couldn't figure it out for ourselves or do a little bit of detective work but 
we're getting full-blown confirmation just a couple of chapters after Joffrey has died of really the entire plan that was put into place. Yeah, I wonder if George just was so giddy that he couldn't like, <laughs> like hold way. it off more. I, I don't know. Not everything is like this long, slow-burning. You know, I, I love that the answer was this, and I love that the answer was Elena. You know what? The fact that it comes in this chapter too, and and for Sansa, when she's still bewildered, she's still having dreams of Joffrey clawing at his throat, you know, plaguing her. The fact that she finds out who's behind it, and yes, it is this man who's she's with who's protecting her, but it was also Olena and you know maybe maybe not Marjorie, but it's these women. It's it's Lady Olena, this this nice old lady who wanted to take her back to Highgarden. The fact that she was this huge player in this king's death, along with Baelish, it should be a lesson to Sansa. I think it will be. I think it'll be a part of how she becomes awake, right? I mean, this is a this is an example of a woman who plays the game extraordinarily well. But they're not all villains. They're not all like Peter Baelish, you know? Exactly. Exactly. They're not all out to burn the entire world down. She She did it for strategic purposes. She would rather her granddaughter marry... Tommen, who is yeah. a much kinder boy, then marry somebody like Joffrey and be treated the way that she knew Joffrey treated everybody, some worse than others. And have and, Loras kill him and cause all that trouble at the capital. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know how close the relationship is between Loras and Marjorie, and if Loras got any inkling as to how Joffrey was treating her, that was just a powder keg waiting to explode. That's a good point. We'd have a Kingslayer in the family. <laughs> Wait, they already are Kingslayers. Never mind. That's too bad for them. Doesn't it kind of feel like George wants us to have just a little bit more anger toward what's happening to Tyrion? It's like we know for sure not only that he didn't do it, but that we know who did it. Oh, man. So I feel like, I feel like that's why the reveal wasn't stretched out. Like yeah, stuff like right. Jon Snow's parentage and all the other grand <laughs> mysteries in the story. We got this one thing to chew on. It's even better knowing how involved... Baelish was with it and again I just want to stress that all of this is happening in the same chapter that he's having a strategic marriage so it's just to add to his gloating and his large bite biting he's marrying a woman that is so interested in, in taking his clothes off that she refuses to wait like literally she <laughs> arrives okay she arrives arrives and is like we have to get married now she traveled a long time to get there yeah <laughs> She's been waiting for months. <laughs> she she said, I've brought my own Sefton and a singer and mead for the wedding feast. <laughs> Here? <laughs> that did not please him. <laughs> Here at the Fingers. What an occasion. Have some seagull eggs. Delicious. Some seaweed soup, right? Yeah. And get that party on. I mean, yeah, like, well. she's she's not even wanting to just marry him and be with him. She wants another child. Like, she's she she comes out and tells him that right in front of Sansa. A daughter. Sweet little daughter. He says, the king's small council commanded me to woo and win you, my lady. Do you think you might have me for your lord and husband? She pooched her lips and pulled him up to plant a kiss upon his cheek. Oh, mayhaps I could be persuaded, she giggled. Have you brought gifts to melt my heart? He says, the king's peace. So he's being like sarcastic with her about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like we have this inside of relationships. Oh, poo to the peace. What else have you brought me? My daughter. And he shows Sansa off. And it's funny because this is like a romantic relationship and he's got no problem being like, this is my bastard daughter. And she did not seem greatly pleased to see her. Did a deep curtsy, her, her head bowed, a bastard. <laughs> Peter, have you been wicked? Who was yeah. her mother? Doesn't ruin the mood. 
The mood is not spoiled. They're married. You kind of expected this, like the, it's kind of like the vinyl scratching moment when he says, I brought my daughter. Yeah, he didn't even bat an eyelash at that. He's like, hey, here's my daughter. So when I, I think he wants her to hold off as the thing. He doesn't want to get married today. He wants the grandeur of it all. He wants to be married in the Erie with all the lords looking on, probably so that they'll recognize his authority. It would definitely carry a higher level of, I don't know, authority, but it's justified in a way, right? If you do it in front of such a large group as opposed to maybe feeling like Baelish somehow forced Lysa into this when they right. were alone in the fingers with nobody else around to really intervene, you know, it's as like opposed a Vegas to wedding. Them. Yeah, exactly. It's like eloping, basically. What happens in the fingers stays, stays in the fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, in general, it's like how society views That's like the fingers. Like, oh, you want to have to like... It feels less le- less than legitimate, and Baelish Absolutely. is all about the smooth stroke. Well, consider how highborn and like how high up the situation is. Like that's this, true. The lady, the veil. But I mean, it's it's kind of in her character to want this side wedding thing. But for him, it's all about the, it's all about securing his position because the the smoother that he gets that this marriage happens, the sooner he can basically do away with lies entirely. Well, she doesn't care about what he cares about. Like she's all for the scheming that they're doing as long as it brings them closer together so at this particular moment there is no scheming in her mind to be done because they are together this is what she was thinking of the whole time she was traveling she's not aware of how his scheming is applied to her clearly 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 and this is what makes it so beautiful because we get to see what he's done we get to hear about what he's done and we get to see it right now right in front of our face yep and then we get the big reveal Later on in the chapter, or at least Lysa gets the reveal that Elaine is actually Sansa, her niece. And it's really a hot and cold type of conversation. Mm. Yeah, uh, Because weird. there there are moments where you can sense that Lysa dil- still has a level of sympathy for her sister. She says, we women are, are alone now, you and I. Are you afraid, child? Be brave. I would never turn away Kat's daughter. We are bound by blood. It's really one of the only sympathetic things I think we ever get from her in this chapter. Or sorry, in 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 these books, at least as far as I can remember up until this point. Well, that's a great thing to hear. To, you know, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel, you notice how it doesn't feel very special. I don't know if it was the same way for you guys that Sansa like we basically have Sansa Stark with a member of her family. This should be a big deal to us. Mm-hmm. We should be you know, shaking the bars of this. This should be the main takeaway from this chapter. We should be saying that Sansa chapter where she finally meets her her mother's sister. But yeah. that's not the case, though, because she's, you know, from the moment of her introduction, she's just establishing herself as an unreliable person that's easily swayed by someone like Peter Baelish. And um, after a very boisterous ceremony, feast, very loud set of lovemaking where she's shouting his name and admittedly uh, just ridiculously through uh, his keep and everyone like they're trying to play music over it and this is this precedes the conversation that they have like I think it's probably the morning after that Baelish is like hey by the way I should tell you who this is Mm. that you know what I mean it's just it's just so different I'm not sure exactly how to speak about it because um, I don't understand how I'm not more excited that Sansa is with Lysa Aaron. I wish that I was. Yeah. You, you just see how quickly Lysa can change her behavior, her manner towards Sansa. 
um that and and in general you get the sense that Lias is very flighty <laughs> can i say that um with with her with her thoughts and opinions i mean this conversation that she has with sansa about how she was unhappily married to john aaron is i guess meant to be tender it's being tender in her own way of like relating and saying we have to protect you further dye your hair this other stuff but it it just feels maybe perhaps what i what i know in advance of you know lysa's um being part of john aaron's death and and just this baelish how she loves baelish and keeps going on about him but he doesn't want anything to do with it it just completely the foreshadowing is getting to me where i can't appreciate this tender moment because it's just like she she's not safe you you still don't feel like sansa safe and sure enough i mean while lysa and 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 peter are doing it uh sansa nearly gets raped again uh by the singer and this is something that is still happening to sansa this is something that you know she's she's still not safe and i i don't feel like she's safe the next morning when lysa's talking about dyeing her hair either because she's still it's sort of like it's in the lion's den it's you're you're staying with the man who killed the king that's not safe yeah that's a good point the fact that this situation uh could happen to her it's it's just illustrating like even though we're with a member of your family there's not there's not any security here except really the only security she had was Baelish's man that was set to watch her and uh scared that very lusty drunk singer away as she was sleeping beside the dog yeah. yeah, not not only killed the king, but the woman and who who was responsible for the death of one of the hands of the king, and and Baelish also being responsible, really for the death of of Ned. So, you know, basically, she's going into a nest of murderers, and <laughs> I I think she's she would have been better off as the bastard daughter, safer as the bastard daughter of Peter Baelish. Then she would have been as Sansa Stark, or at least in Lysa knowing yes, that she is Sansa Stark, because mm-hmm. she's the the level of accusations that start to arise, and and we saw some in the show. But I feel like she was maybe she was hinting more at it, yeah. as to whether or not she was pregnant with Tyrion's child. Yeah. But part of me immediately thought that she was asking if she was pregnant with Baelish's child. So and we know how jealous uh, Lysa can be, and so I really don't think that this is necessarily a safer situation for her. It's a different situation. It's 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 dangerous in a different way than it was when she was in King's Landing, but I don't necessarily know that she's better off. And and to go off the point Zach was making earlier about yeah, we should be ecstatic about the fact that Sansa has finally found another of her family members after all this time, but we're not because we sense the danger. We know what Peter Bellish has done, and we, we're not feeling too safe with the idea of her being in a very remote area with a crazier-than-shithouse rat Thank you. type of person <laughs> Old Lysa joke, Aaron. Anna. Sorry about that. <laughs> Good. Lysa doesn't recognize Sansa at all, which I thought was a little interesting. I mean, I, I mean, she says later on that, oh, you know, you look like uh, your mom, yes. but I feel like there was not that moment of recognition, you know, when they first were together. Especially if she looks like Catelyn, you would think that 
there would be some level of recognition. But to be fair to Lysa, she only's got one thing on her mind. <laughs> yeah, she first shows yeah. up. She is ready to go. I know she really was, and I know that it's like we're talking about it hilariously. But if you're reading along with this, you'll understand. It was just kind of almost out of character how nonchalant and funny this chapter was. And they replicated it in the show. Yeah, they did. They did. I forgot about that actually. Uh, and I was just thinking, like, I feel like this was. Yeah, it was it, ridiculous. <laughs> the seed is strong. <laughs> oh, he was talking about. <laughs> but Lysa has a clear plan for Sansa, and that is to marry Robin. Yeah. It's so weird how she talks about them getting married and but it sounds she makes it sound like Sansa's just gonna babysit him for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> like, no... He likes this particular song and Yeah, it's not like he's gonna grow up it. to be this kind of man. It's like you have to always let him win. <laughs> kind of, like, you know, I'm I'll be gone for two hours and he takes his dinner <laughs> at eight o'clock. <laughs> That's kinda of what I was thinking. Really sexy for Sansa. Yeah, she's oh, like, yeah. All right. Really into oh, that. Oh yeah, I I want to I want to uh, not a man but a boy who likes to play hop frog. <laughs> and I let him win every time. <laughs> oh, but be sure to you must always let him. Win. Just comparing Sansa and, and Arya for the last chapter that we read about her, we really see them both shedding who they were as Stark girls, and we see at the end when when Lysa's talking to Sansa about you know you you become a what is it a beggar now <sighs> harsh. Yeah, and how at the beginning of the chapter she talks about how Winterfell being Sansa's home of her childhood. And she's a woman now, you need to make your own home, you need to make your own. And so just how Arya, you know, before is kind of going through the same thing. We see them make this this transformation at the same time. I think it's kind of cool to watch them. I mean, it's sad, but it's cool to kinda of <laughs> It's it's the way forward is almost gosh, I didn't know being a Stark was so unwanted but actually i had that thought too while while reading this chapter too that that they're shedding they have to shed their identity to survive and we're reaching the end of this book so it's all happening at the opportune time you can only imagine the anticipation that you all must have felt reaching the end of a storm of swords and waiting for a feast for crows but whereas we have sansa with baelish we have Arya with the hound and i would put much more uh, stock in the Hound protecting Arya than I would Baelish protecting Sansa. Or I don't know. Sansa wants to be protected by the Hound, right? Sleeping beside that dog. That's exactly. She thinks of the Hound, and yeah. that's who Arya's got. So I actually, I'm actually more worried for for Sansa than I am for Arya. Well, we know that Arya can defend herself. At least she's proven that ability a few times already. Sansa, we've yet to see her actually defend herself through physical action or through words. The time will come. I can feel it approaching. Mm. So can I. But in the meantime, let us give our owns for these two chapters. Absolutely. I, I don't think there should be any question that um, Barrison Selmy uh, is an own-worthy motherfucker. And not just that he came back to write that he was leaving, like, goodbye, white book. <laughs> I've loved you. <laughs> you know, but, but just that he, he... So he writes... Okay, so here's the here's the last bit here. Champion of the tourney at King's Landing in his 57th year. Dismissed from service by King Joffrey I Baratheon in his 61st year for reasons of advanced age. <laughs> After you read this entire paragraph about being the bold when he was 10, a knight when he was 16, all the way through to a 57th year, he's 57 and still winning tourneys at King's Landing. This isn't just some random-ass tourney in Essos where a bunch of, like, 
uh, unexperienced fighters are in. This is King's Landing tourney. He's still winning tourneys. Clearly, it's meant to be um, passive-aggressive that at 61, only four years later, he's being dismissed for old age, which if you read this white book, you know it's unprecedented. Even now, I could cut you down like carving a cake. Mm, cake. So, own to Barristan, mm. and I don't think anybody is surprised. I'm going to go ahead and give my own to Sir Garland Terrell for being the ghost of Renly Baratheon. Is he also the ghost of High Heart? Well, if the armor fits. If the dentures fit. I'm going to give my own to Loris when he's talking about Renly. And he says, we had prayed together that night, uh, the night he died. I don't think they were praying, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm on my knees, like a little prayer. I don't know if that's what we're Uh, calling it these days, but... I think that's what we are calling it. Um, I, think, I think Jamie deserves the own for handling himself in the way that he did in this chapter, not being afraid to stand up to them, especially you know in, in a threatening manner, almost still asserting some kind of dominance. Not that that's that it's necessary, but the king is dead and he's surrounded by unhonorable people. And I just think it's a it's a big task, even though it's not quite the order it used to be. It's a big task that he's taken, and to do it without his sword hand, it's a different world for Jamie Lannister. I wish you the best. That's a good one. He's still sitting in that chair. He hasn't let the uh, the weight of the world uh, beat him. And for Sansa, my own for Sansa goes to the dog. Actually, she meets this dog, and he's kind of keeping her company during all these these days of waiting. Um, and after the wedding, when men are falling asleep, she goes back to her bed to find the dog there. And she just says, he, well, he wakes up and licks her face and she says, you sad old hound, <laughs> ruffling his fur. And I'm thinking of all the stuff that's like going on. She's just, oh, you sad old hound. Dogs will do that to you. You, you must. That would just make my day. So uh, own to the sad old hound. I'll give mine to Peter Baelish. There's many lines. That <laughs> Too easy. To uh, I'm also giving mine but, to no, Peter Baelish. There That's, are. It's not not the point of view character. He's not. Like, he's not. It's perfectly. He legit. Might as well be. He, yeah, he might as well be. Every for everything for his yeah. wonderful small folk for the captain of the guard who only has a dog in his service uh, for where he began and how he used his relationship with Lysa to be influencing enough for John Aaron to give him a chance and him doubling those books and making so much money that he eventually climbed the ranks and became involved with things at King's Landing. Think about it, guys. It's like that Peter Drake Baelish. song. Yeah. Right? That Drake song started from the bottom. <laughs> and just remember, clean hands, Sansa. Whatever you do, make certain your hands are clean. Chaos is a ladder. It's a ladder. <laughs> I will break the wheel. My, I'm, can I give my own to Peter Baelish too? <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Yes. Um, this this seems, seems like a pretty typical episode. Is it for praying with no. Lysa? Is that <laughs> what the own is for? <laughs> if I can have two, then yes. So this part when he's, he's talking to Sansa about her new backstory and she said he talks about her mom and he said, or her fake mom. Says she died giving you birth, you and entrusted you to the faith. 
I have some devotional books you can look over. Learn to quote from them. <laughs> Nothing discourages unwanted questions as much as a flow of pious <laughs> bleeding. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I highly, that's funny. Yeah. I even wrote own in my book. So that's how. Whoa. Yeah. Take a picture, put it on Snapchat. Not bad. So yeah. did any of you listening find a moment in which you wrote own in your book? Oh, you know they did. You know they did. Mm. Well, maybe not right in their book, but they typed on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook and emails. The first from Phil on Facebook says, my owns, first owns ever. Wow, Phil. Ooh, welcome, Phil. Killing it. Welcome to the party. For Sansa, goes to Cersei, the predictable pawn, and to the hound, Sansa's imaginary savior. For the Jamie chapter, my owns go to Sir Boris Blount, the king's sworn food taster, <laughs> and to Jamie himself for standing up for Brienne. Absolutely. Oh. She goes on to say, great show, by the way. I found you looking for podcasts reviewing season five and decided to stay on for another reread. My third read by now. Nice. But the little details always evade you, like Sansa thinking of Sandor in this mm-hmm. chapter. By the way... I think it's amazing how the two chapters you deal with nearly nearly always have a connection. Today, both chapters state that Loras is like a young Jamie. Yep. And both point of views kind of take on a new identity. Yes. Jamie is Lord Commander and Sansa as a lady. Oh, I like that. Baelish is. Uh, I, I loved all of. Yeah, that was. Yeah. 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 Reese Palazzolo on Facebook says, "Own for the Jamie chapter goes to Sir Duncan the Tall for simply being mentioned." <laughs> Hashtag love me some Dunkin' Egg. And uh, my own for the Sansa chapter goes to Littlefinger for the way he describes Cersei as a piece and not a player. But it pretty much sums up how Cersei works exactly. We'll see. Christina Klein writes, In the white room with white curtains near the bayside, dot, dot, dot. My own has to go to Barristan Selmy, the bold, the badass, and the bullshit that he was dismissed for reasons of advanced age when he had just been champion of attorney four years prior. Yep. And to Lady Olena Tyrell for being just as sly and clever as any of the best players of the game and for ridding Planetos of that little creep Joffrey. Well done. Ed McNamara says, own to the color white for being mentioned six <laughs> times in the first three sentences. That's a two to one word ratio. Word to sentence ratio. Hashtag whitewashed. They wear white. Thank you. <laughs> Over on Twitter, Brienne of Tarth, giving my Jamie own to Jamie. Mm. To hell with your point of view own They're rules. not. They're not. Eric. They are. No, we they're not. Agreed. It's not always the case, though. And Loris. Quote, I was better than you, Sir Loris. I was bigger. I was stronger. And I was quicker. To which Loris replied, and now you're older. And neither will you. <laughs> My Sansa own goes to, oh, Peter, <laughs> for making the finger squirm. There's a I missed opportunity. Really... I think Micah should have read the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Brienne. Oh, jeez. You oh, slay us. You would tweet that. From Brienne to a Peter Baelish. Ooh. Sending his own for his, his chapter. Come on, Peter. <laughs> Yeah. Keep your hands clean. He says, for Surprise Jamie. He didn't give it to himself. For Jamie goes to Sir Barristan. What a surprise. For not bothering to note Jamie's tourney victories. <laughs> Bit jealous <laughs> after the Rhaegar incident. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> uh, 
Persona <laughs> goes to Grizel for climbing all the way to the bedchamber to bring Lord and Lady their morning bread commitment. Ah, <laughs> uh, Grizel. She works hard for the money. From wet from wet nurse to like seriously, she's been with him all his life. She's killing Bless it. her. John Johnny over on uh, Twitter. Owen goes to Jamie for not being the idiotic, Cersei infatuated, lacking any character development show version of himself. <laughs> Amen. Whoa. That was loaded, John. That was loaded. That was very loaded. John Johnny. John, John Johnny. Johnny. Uh, John Johnny Johnson. John Johnny. Uh, he clarifies, I mean, he still likes her, but not to the point of stupidity and poorly thought out missions to Dorn levels. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> CR. Well, he's not going to Dorn in the books, so don't yeah, worry. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Wait, what? No. <laughs> no idea. Two parts of Rye says Sir Boris should have owned a shake for breakfast, a shake for lunch, <laughs> and a sensible dinner. Hashtag is goo too young for a slim fast reference. Nah. No. No. Whoa. Not at all. And uh, final own comes in email format from Monique, who says, Hi, goo. Hello. Jamie. Own to Jamie for remembering Sir Barristan the Bold's bony arse and good deeds. Yes. And uh, Sansa, own to Marillion for the worst pickup line I've ever heard. Quote, let me sing to you with my body instead. <laughs> I thought we were praying. <laughs> I wonder if that's worked for him before. I was, I was just going to sure say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably. That's too bad for Marillion, uh, the singer from the Vale or wherever the hell Lysa Aaron found him. Thank you for seeing, sending in your owns people killing it yeah those are uh all the ways that you can send us owns for this show twitter facebook and email just tweet at us at game of owns on twitter scroll upon our facebook wall at facebook.com slash game of owns or shoot us an email at contact at game of owns.com we're getting um really close to finishing this book yep i know really close it's about 11 chapters i think you counted don't lie yep I'm looking at it now. We're getting even closer to our 300th episode. Not that it really means anything, but it's just kind of crazy when you think about. It's cool. It's a milestone. What that means, though. I mean, we're we're only two right now, two less of what that means. So it kind of means the same thing right now. So if you've been with us since the beginning, I mean, you understand. I feel like we're best friends, and we don't even know it yet. So please, if you're going to be in the New York City area either for Comic-Con or for any other reason you can find an excuse for, please uh, commit to your other half of this relationship and say hello as we've been speaking to you now for almost 300 episodes, okay? Okay, I'll be there. Hello? Well, I'll be there. We'll be and it's there. coming too. It's, it's going to be, be a party. party. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how we know we've been doing this for 300 episodes. Yes, it will be a party. And if listeners want more than what currently exists on our iTunes feed for episodes, for content, for Thrones-related humor, for us-related humor, um, definitely go and check out our Patreon. Recently, as Micah was saying at the top of the show, Made Over, we've gone from Quaith to Marjorie Tyrell. It's been that that much of a, uh, a big makeover, and uh, we've always had amazing content. And you don't know what's is... under that mask. True to form, huh? I think he's factoring the mask into that equation. Right oh, now. okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, it's not uh, an obligation, but if you love the podcast and choose to support it, my gosh, we just love you forever mm-hmm. and ever. Love you a long time. We would shout your names from the the top of the <laughs> bed chamber, like <laughs> whatever that place is called, for all the rocks and sheep to hear. And Patreon allows us to do. 
the event that we will be doing next week in New York City, Times Square, the Hard Rock Cafe, A Night of Ice and Fire. Looking forward to our live podcast with Christian Nairn, Finn Jones, and a bunch of other surprises. I know we got the costume contest. There's more to come. Stay tuned to our episode next week. There will be plenty to talk about. Really excited, really looking forward uh, to this live show. I'm bringing wildfire. <laughs> That's it. That's another don't, surprise. Don't sit near me. There's no way to get away from it, Eric, right? I'm bringing wildfire. It's going to be, well, for lack of a better word, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> and just uh, speaking of more details, coming on next week's episode, we will be doing two more chapters, John and Tyrion. And we all know what's coming in the Tyrion chapter. Mm. It's going to be an epic way to uh, head into our live show in New York City. But Jeez. this chapter is, uh, it's been a long time coming. I mean, it's been over a season since this happened in the show. And uh, now you get to read it detail by gruesome detail. Hey, Hannah, do you mind coming uh, on with us next week? Because I don't know if we're going to be able to talk about all that hard-hitting stuff without your joyous presence. I think I'm just going to sit sit on the Skype call until then. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. Just wait for us here, will you? Yeah, I'll just sit, hang tight. I, I think we mentioned this in the when we, we talked about it um, in the season, but it's actually far worse in the show than it is. Wait, is the, tri- is the is combat next week? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's in that same right. chapter. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Damn. I hear that next week's chapters will be mind-blowing. I pop Or at least crushing. one of them. Skull crushing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, those are the details. I pop it. Stay tuned. More to come <laughs> this podcast uh, and everything else. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.